2: shit is crazy, y'all What
0: am I gonna
2: do?
0: I gotta find a new job Hi,
2: welcome to the Modern Waiter Podcast I'm Marlon Joseph, the Modern Waiter Where we discuss all things restaurant business Learn something, laugh at something (laughs) On today's episode, we welcome in managing partner, Jason Raymond What's up, Jason? Hey, what's going on, fellas? As usual, I'm joined by my good friend, Danny DeVilla. What's up, what's up, what's up, people? You know, uh, we have a lot to unpack today. And uh, Jason, tell everybody about your history in the restaurant business. Holy cow. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, so, yeah, I uh, I kind of grew up in this business.
1: My parents had uh, very casual, like, sub kind of places in Buffalo, New York. So I always knew that I wanted to be in this business at some capacity, but um, as I went to college, I went to hotel management school at Canisius College, Um, and then I ended up at uh, a hotel school in Switzerland. So from that point, I was like, you know, do I go back to Buffalo, New York to work at the two-star Motel 6, which (laughs) which is basically the best we had to offer at that time? I know you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Or the Marriott by the uh, Miller Sport. Yes. Yeah, that, I do. That was as good as it got. So um, so I ended up actually moving down to Florida. And then um, I got a job at the Boca Resort and kind of fell in love with the resort style places. Worked there for four years. Uh, then went to the Breakers on Palm Beach for another four. So, um, and then I got kind of picked up by a, a restaurant group called Buckhead Life out of Atlanta. They oh, opened, cool. uh, yeah. yeah they opened Chops first, and then they opened City Fish Market in Boca. So, um, we opened ah. that restaurant together. Yep. And then Snitches. they asked me... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it's a great restaurant. They they still do a great job today. It's still one of my favorite restaurants here. Yeah. I,
2: I go all the time.
1: Yeah. The, uh Yeah. I mean, you know, it's changed over since I've left, but I've left there... God, I mean, it's like 11 years now since I've been gone. But... Um, Then they asked me to move to Atlanta, so I did, and I worked, and by the way, this is the short, short version of the career, so, uh, (laughs) um, but yeah, so they asked me to go to a restaurant called Chops, which I agreed to, because um, there's a great guy there by the name of Kevin Brown, which is really the reason why I moved to Atlanta, he's the GM there, so I moved there to work with him, and then a week after I got to Atlanta, the owner came to the restaurant and said, hey, we're going to move you to another restaurant. And I was like, uh, like, hold up. I moved my entire <laughs> life to Atlanta to work with, with this other guy. Yeah. But, you know, in the end, um, it worked out really well because that's where I met Chef Doug. Um, and then I was there for about four or five months. And he's like, uh, the long story short is, he's want, like, want to go open a new restaurant? I was like, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so then I jumped on that opportunity. So, nice. Yeah, and then nine years later and three restaurants later here we are okay so
2: yeah but I've, I've wanted to interview you for a long time i would have wanted to have you on the uh, podcast but um now you're here on vacation and it's the best case scenario you know yeah. you're here in studio and i do appreciate it and you're one of my favorite people to talk to about life and restaurant business so this is a treat for me well thanks man. when we go out to eat you know, we we have the we just sit down and we just talk about everything. And it's like, hey, why do you think this is here, or why do you think this, uh, you know, this combination's on the table, or whatever the case may be. You have a unique eye, and and that's uh, to the mechanics of the machine, which is very interesting to me.
1: Well, it's a good dynamic because generally, when I go out to eat. Um And I'm not this way as much anymore, but I used to to annoy everybody around me by talking about the restaurant experience and what's going on. (laughs) You know, and you notice too. I mean, people come up to you and they're like, uh, like, so what do you see? And then all of a sudden I have to be like a food critic when I'm sitting at the table, like just trying to enjoy my experience. They're like, what do you Mm. see? And I'm like... Looking, I'm looking around like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, they're missing water over there. That's probably table 33. Uh, they're not doing this in the kitchen. The server just walked in the back, touched her phone, picked up silverware. I'm like, then I'm like annoying myself. Mm. So I put the, sometimes I just put the blinders on and I'm like, I. you just got to enjoy the experience. But when we go out, yeah, it's it's enjoyable to talk about the restaurant business with you because we're kind of on the same wavelength of... Just being observant about what's going on. And I try to learn stuff when I go out. Yeah. You know, how, other, how are other people doing it, you know? So, and I think that's important. Or, you know, picking up how they're doing it, the positives, and probably more importantly, how not to do it. Sure. You know? So, it just kind of keeps you above that level of competition where you're like, you know, what
2: can we do to do it better? Agreed. And there's always something to learn. And, and then there's... I, I like the holistic view of things, like how things work together. You know, if you just pick a part of what someone else is doing, it it may not work for you. You know, um, but if you understand why they're doing it in context, it's I think it's a, a much more effective uh, tool to, to use if you if you have the context. One. So speaking of a holistic view of things, uh, do you have a holistic view of philosophy to the business? Yes, I do. Um, and I think it's, it's something that's developed.
1: I mean, since kind of the beginning of your career, you develop it all the way from, uh, you know, when my parents had restaurants and just listening to the good and the bad, you know, getting into this business. I think if you know, you asked my father anything about the business, he was always, you know, known for saying, never get in this business, leave the key in the door, just walk away. See you later. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't think he necessarily had the passion for the business. I think he did it. And then it was just kind of, I'm just going to keep doing this forever and that's mm-hmm. it. So I learned early that if you're going to be in this business, you have to have a passion or else you're not going to last. And, uh, and I thought, I think that's a really important part. And that that's any advice that I would give anybody in the hospitality industry. If you don't have a passion for it, please get out because this business will eat you up and spit you out um so a a culmination of my entire career is kind of is is what seed ended up being i mean we we opened the restaurant and we were in in a way we were terrified into succeeding i mean my job i took it upon myself to be kind of the bodyguard of the restaurant Mm -hmm. you know chef doug his name's doug Turbush, like you know, one of the most amazing chefs I've ever worked with or have seen businessman. It's not often you have a guy that's a that is a genius business owner and a chef that's oh, as talented as him at the same time. Yeah,
0: it's usually one or the other, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's
1: kind of something that's what we have. And yeah. it's um, so he trusted me. I mean, this is a guy who only really knew me for five months and he trusted me with the entire front of the house of his restaurant. That that was his dream. So I took I took that as great honor but also a lot of pressure to make sure that we succeeded. He put up his house, his 401k, his wife's 401k, everything he had in his life went into this restaurant. Okay. So my job at this point was to make sure that yeah, it was going to succeed. And there is no guarantee in this business as you know. I mean, it's just not how this this business is set up and True. it doesn't matter you could have a great location, you could have the best team, but you know, a pandemic roll through you know and this is a great example it could roll through and you know we were just in a really great financial position to be able to to weather the storm Mm -hmm. but if we weren't i don't know you know maybe we wouldn't be here so it's uh it's interesting but to get back to the holistic part of it yeah i mean in the beginning we wanted to create a, a culture that i took everything i loved in the business and i used it and i removed everything i hated from the business so and In the end i should be walking into my dream every day when it's It's, yours it's you know and it's if you walk in the doors and anything becomes part of your nightmare like somebody's there that you know shouldn't be there Mm -hmm. then remove the issue i mean remove the problem we're very good about giving people tons of chances um we're not one to just like part ways immediately you know i mean in georgia it's a right to work state so we don't really have to give a reason but you know but that's all through the hiring process you know we I mean, we can go into that later too, but our hiring process and training process is pretty hardcore, Um, but that weeds out the people that aren't going to make it, you Mm -hmm. know, that we, you know, so, I mean, at any given time on our floor, we have a hundred to 150 years of experience of people that have worked in this business. So, and that's how we like it. It's It's all about mutual investment. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that is a key term and and we do use that. So, um, so the things that I took out of the business that I didn't like, Mm-hmm. Um, those were the the all the corporate kind of ass kissing bullshit that happens in in hotels or resorts or corporate environments. I you know like I've seen it. There's people in in high spots in high management positions that don't deserve to be there and shouldn't be there and are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, and they're there because they kiss somebody's ass or yeah. you know it's uh they've been there for too long and they don't want to get rid of them or they haven't been written up enough or all this stuff and I'm just like you know like it's and I've worked in some really great places and I've seen that there too and it's just I if you want to be the best at what you're at, at what you're doing especially in a business that's so competitive mm-hmm. you need to have the best team possible underneath you and working with you and above you and that's the only way it's going to happen if you have a you know, all the cliches you hear growing up and in, in your life, they're there for a reason. Like, you're only as strong as your weakest link. It's true. I mean, if if my energy is going into, like, it doesn't matter what position it is, but one person, when I leave the building, and I'm thinking about them in a, in a negative way, then maybe they shouldn't be there. Like, my true. energy is, you know, it turns into this virus, and it's like a cancer that grows, and then it's affecting other people. And you don't realize until you let them go which my philosophy on, on letting people go is when you sit down with them to have that conversation, if you're doing your job correctly, they already know it's coming. They know that, that they're being let go because in the end, the, people really fire themselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a huge thing. It's, you know, so when they're gone, now you see everybody like, they're like, yeah, of course he's gone. He shouldn't have been here in the first <laughs> place, you know? So, and you guys have all seen that too. You're like, thank God they're gone. You know? oh, every,
0: yeah, There's there's been plenty of, uh, that, we, we, that happens in my job all the time. It's, you don't, you don't really get fired. You fire yourself or you, it's been across the board. It was the entire time I've been there like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it becomes an accountability thing. I mean, and that's, that is what for nine years, we are relentless in, in how we operate our business. And it's the not letting up. I think that's really made us who we are and and successful. And really it just comes down to, and we talked about a little earlier, but it's just giving a shit. Mm -hmm. You have to give a shit every day about everything, but forever. Not just the first five years or the next five years, but the entire existence of your of your operation. So when a, when a server, a bartender, or whoever walks through the back door, they understand that they're going to be held accountable equally no matter what. So it doesn't matter if you, if you, something as simple as if there's a sugar packet on the ground and you walk over it, every manager in that company, including most of the employees that are there and most of the staff, they're going to ask you why you didn't pick it up every single time, no matter what. So it's not like I walk in the door as a server and Jason is working so I know that I can get away with this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Now when David's working, I can get away with this, this, and this. We are 100% in line, in communication on everything that's
2: going on. I can only imagine that's a challenging way to you know, to implement that. So you mentioned you put in the things in creating the culture, you put in the things that you, you've noticed that you loved about the business over the years and the things that you hate. What are, and what are the two biggest things that you've loved about it that, that you absolutely, you know, incorporated into your, your your restaurant culture?
1: Yeah, so teamwork is number one. And that's, it's such a thing when people say like, yeah, teamwork makes a Okay, the dream so works. what does teamwork mean yeah, to you? Yeah, I was gonna ask that same question. <laughs> yeah, so teamwork means that everybody in the restaurant is working in unison for the same goal. That's okay. what it means for me. So everybody knows that in the end, the guest experience is all that matters. So how are we going to get to that point? So it doesn't matter what position you're in. You could be a host. Everybody can contribute to that. So when you talk about empowering employees, I mean, you know, the Ritz-Carlton and the Four Seasons, they do that really well. I think the Ritz-Carlton gives every employee $1,000 to make a guest happy no matter what. And that's in their power. Mm -hmm. So following that philosophy, and obviously we're a small company, so I'm not giving everybody $1,000 to hand out (laughs) because they would.
2: Well, I mean there's a scale so, you know, the things that are at cartons are you know, a lot more expensive. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know? Um so yeah, so the teamwork. So, you know, and I I described this experience um of what it's like
2: to walk into seed and I think this kind of maybe explains it really well. So, let's let's backtrack because um you mentioned that you three restaurants later. So, let's frame it as what are the three restaurants you have seed
1: Yep, Seed Kitchen and Bar. Um, okay. Right next door to that is our wine bar called Stem Wine Bar. Okay. And then about a quarter mile down the road, it's Drift Fish House and Oyster Bar, which is our seafood restaurant.
2: Okay, perfect. So, yep. So, you're relating to Seed and uh, teamwork is one in the love column and what's number two? Um, that's a great question. So, I'd have to think about that one. Okay, and then on the uh, things that you have to eliminate I, I, according to um, culture, to you know your personal philosophy, what is what's the top two that has to go? Yeah, I would say uh,
1: any kind of favoritism is probably number one. Mm-hmm. Um, there is none. I mean, let's be real. If you have a favorite employee or staff member, they're there. But the the goal is, and mm-hmm. I guess. Is to not let anybody know who that person is, and that's when it's you're doing it successfully. No, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, we're we are, and this is another thing about what we do. We're a performance based company, so it doesn't matter if you've been there for nine years or you've been there for nine months. If you are not performing, then you're not going to get the schedule. You're not. I mean, the, the seniority, performance. When those things go together, and you're you're working in unison to to do really well in those two those two things, then you're going to get whatever you
2: want. You're going to get the schedule you want. You're going to get the section you want. How do you measure performance? Is it by, you know, what you observe or feedback from guests or what's your measure of performance?
1: Yeah, it's all the above. I mean, Mm -hmm. something as simple as showing up late, you know, I mean, that's, that is, that's, that's something simple that shows me that you care. And we put, we put everything on a scale of really how much you're caring about the business. Um, and if you think about something like, you know, showing up late, if you show up late to work, you're basically disrespecting everybody that's there on time. So, and that happens. I mean, we, in our, we have a great team, so they all started busting out the side work and doing all that stuff. And then mm-hmm. you're just bringing up the rear with whatever. And then you walk in the door and then you go to the bathroom for 10 minutes doing God knows what, or, you know, if it's, you know, putting on your makeup or whatever. So you're still not contributing. Mm-hmm you know, and it is about that. Like we don't, we don't have side worksheets in our restaurant. And I always said the second that we have a side worksheet is, is, that's the second I'm not showing up anymore. So we, we set up as a team, we break down as a team. Um, I'd never like the idea of somebody polishing silverware or glassware in their own sections and their own tables. Mm-hmm. Like we, I don't, they don't know the floor plan until like sometimes one minute before we open. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I like to do it as a team and like, They've found certain things that they like to do. Like I know that um, one of these guys names Javier, he's like the the sugar caddy Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that every day when he's there and he comes in, that the sugar caddies are going to be perfect and done. And like, because that's his thing and he just takes
2: care of it. So what, what would be the one, uh, if you were to give your servers a, a superpower, what would it be? Superpower,
1: whoa, uh I would probably say have a perfect and long lasting memory, okay, probably, all right, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's on the spot with superpower. I'm like, you know, flying around the dining room. I'm not sure how relevant that would be. <laughs> <laughs> super strength. Yeah,
0: that, 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 that could be uh, counterproductive, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And the street yeah. would start breaking glasses and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Super
1: strength, you know, carrying a tray nine times the size of uh, one they usually carry with tray
2: drinks on it. I'm not sure if that's necessary. But well, super I mean, speed? I don't know, maybe. I mean, yeah. memories, uh, I think... Probably the most uh, uh, applicable, I would say. Can I throw in an audible on that one?
1: Of now course. that we're talking about it? Uh, I would say focus. Okay. So that would be a huge one. So, um, you know, we've had people there that have been there for eight or nine years, and you notice that the, their ability to take four or five tables is not there like it used to be. You know, and we have and some of these guys, they're getting older, you know, and it's mm. like, and you get in a routine and you get stale. So... Some of these guys and girls that were taking four and five tables, now they're, you know, I mean, now they are three tables and that's mm-hmm. how they succeed. But that's our job to, first of all, recognize that. And then they recognize that as well. So, I mean, I have I have a server there. and Of course, I'm not going to name any names, but, but three tables, every single table in their section will tell me how amazing of a job they mm-hmm. did. Four tables, every single table in their section will come out with a complaint and let me know on the way out. It's um, just, it's just that one. So, so that is a conversation that I have with that server. And I'm like, listen, and I had that conversation. They totally agree and they're happier and they're making more money with three tables because those three tables, because they have
0: that time to do what they want to do. Yeah,
2: exactly. So we know, we know a server like that. Yes. And, um, it's some servers or some people need, they need to have it just so not really that they can't. You know they have the spiel they have their their comfort level with the table and their rapport and things like that and when you pile too many things to add to that rotation of responsibilities they get thrown off and really don't really uh succeed in that in that way um but yeah focus i think is a would be a good super super Mm superpower and um like speaking of superpowers let's say you have the super friends when i was a kid super friends like were were a thing it was uh uh batman superman wonder woman aquaman
0: pretty much the justice league
2: um justice league is kind of like um but i know what you mean i'm, I'm saying like, okay so let's both... just take let's just take uh
0: for these kids that don't know about super friends it's it's most of those characters and, and okay. a couple more. <laughs> so let's just let's let's go with
2: batman and robin right aquaman superman and wonder woman that's that's five yeah okay yeah. Let's let's put them in in uh, in roles in the restaurant, for, for according to their their best abilities. Okay, wow, my mind just exploded. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Holy cow! We're gonna have to go through
2: their best abilities. Uh, well, a- Aquaman, right? Gotta well, be a dishwasher yeah for sure I was like, I was like either that or,
1: uh, or works at Red Lobster and he's in charge of the lobster tanks
2: he wouldn't do either it what. because he's cruel to animals he 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 he's, he needs those animals alive he you would know? save, them all. Buddies. save yeah. them all he'll save them all he'll take them <laughs> off the plate and open up the tanks and you know usher them to the ocean yeah exactly you know Uh, what about, uh, Batman? Like, it's, uh, Batman... Well, his gadgets, he'd be a pretty good
0: good server, actually.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I would say
1: sommelier, you know? Maybe a wine opener. Okay, very knowledgeable, yeah. the fancy
2: also, you know? Yeah, man. I think, I think Batman would be a good server slash some. Yeah. And, uh, what about Robin?
0: Robin's a sidekick, so, I mean,
2: maybe a (laughs) busser. <laughs> or Robin, yeah, or, or a back. Robin <laughs> gets your, screwed constantly. A back waiter. Okay, okay. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And uh, what about Superman and Wonder Woman? Whether they fit in?
0: Uh Superman either a manager or because I think Batman can even be a manager because he's he's always led even those group of people yeah. that have such extraordinary talents. He's the one who brought them all together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? All the people because. Batman has no power no 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 ta- no powers. Okay, he he uses his mind and uses his gadgets, and so I think he would be a great manager. Okay, and then Superman would be like a bartender, Or one like around that kind of level where they have the the you know the knowledge and everything else, or not not knowledge, but like fast. I think speed. the Wonder Woman
2: would be the bartender. I though. think so too.
0: I mean, she could definitely. But or she host. A, <laughs> I mean, she she could be a host slash bartender, <laughs> <laughs> yelling at people while she's pouring drinks. Go sit at that table.
2: She
1: yeah i mean i could you could throw in batman that's a really good point you know leading the team i would say i mean in our situation batman would be like chef doug you know the owner like organizing and he's the first person to tell you that he has no superpowers you know there is i feel like batman he's never taken the glory and Mm -hmm. i think that's an important point in this business if you're getting in this business for the glory of the business you are in the wrong business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is no glory. This is not this is this is a humbling business. So, you know, especially in the last Batmans. I mean, he was aging, yeah. got beat up, you know, takes his armor off and he's all like black and blueed up. Mm-hmm. So, that's that's probably uh
2: it's probably pretty close. Well, I mean, I asked to say, to kind of glean what uh what you would look for in in staff you know like so you're obviously responsible for staffing a full restaurant so that's you know there you know there you need bussers you i mean i'm i i don't know i've never been to your place so i don't know what you know philosophy you have sometimes you have places that but the servers bust their own tables and things like that but you you need certain personalities and we're fascinated by you know how certain restaurants are staffed because there are some commonalities because you need people that are servers that can do you know can, that can multitask that can focus that can adapt um you need hosts that are friendly yet firm you need bartenders that can move you know and and Absolutely. also you know do things so what is it that you look for what are the keys that you look for in staff
1: yeah so can i take you through the kind of the training process and hiring process of course yeah so when we started seed um for the front of the house we wanted to hire i think 25 people total and we did 450 interviews for 25 people holy mackerel yeah and that was 450 (laughs) interviews and we did three interviews with each person so that was kind of my my way of you know, also showing Doug that we weren't messing around. Like I was not gonna take this lightly. Mm-hmm. We were gonna get the best team in possible. So so that's how that works even till today. So you have three interviews no matter what position you're in. The first okay. one first one's always with me. It's like forty five minutes long because I'm going through I'm reading you. I do like ninety percent of the talking in the first interview, which I it's more like an introduction to the company. Mm-hmm. By the end of it if you are not terrified in your seat and i can see it in your eyes then you move on to the next interview because okay. the last question i ask is do you think this place is for you and if there's any hesitation whatsoever it could be a half a second it could be an eyes going sideways or whatever uh... yeah no exactly <laughs> i mean uh no then then you don't move on then we have a certain set of questions we ask in round two and it gets more specific if you're a bartender then, then you're with the beverage manager, and then it gets more beverage involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one is basically to solidify, is this for you? And it, like you said, it shows your, your level of commitment. So, And that's where the commitment starts, and I explain all that. There is no, there is no stone unturned during the interview process. You're never going to tell me when everything is said and done and your training is over. Mm-hmm. But I didn't tell you it was going to be like this. Okay. So expectations are set 100%. So if you make it through that, then you do an orientation with me, which I go over all the stuff about the company and blah, blah, blah. Um, which is also important because it sets the tone for what also what to expect as mm-hmm. far as like, you know, we're not kidding around. We might be a small restaurant company, but, you know, in the end, we, we like to feel like we have our shit together. Okay. So, it's, um, so then if you're a server, um, you start a nine-day training process. It's all laid out. Um, you start out, you work every position in the front of the house, Um, and, and then when you're done with that, you take, you know, the, the description tests that you take are pretty hardcore. So you have to pass those 90% or above. And if you don't, you know, and I, I let them know this in the beginning, our, our goal is not to fail you. Like that mutual investment that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. this is where if you hire somebody and then you the same day that you interview them and then you work on the floor and this happens all the time. And then that server on the day one is now like closing the restaurant down. (laughs) Like they have no investment the next day. They'd be like, you know what? Eh, I think I'm just going to leave. Yeah. You know? So, so we create that investment because they're like, God, I've been training for nine days now making minimum wage. Like I, I really feel invested in this place and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel it. So I think I'm going to keep showing up. So, and then once you see the money that starts rolling in and, and I don't guarantee money. That's one of the things I say in my initial interview. I'm like, listen, I'm not here. Like if you ask me how much money you're going to make, it's probably not the job for you. Mm -hmm. But in the end, I know I, I tell them I'm like, well, if you're working in this company, you're going to make money if you're good if you're not making money, then it means that you're probably not good at your job because the average tip percentage in our company is 21.2%. Okay. So it's because these people that are here do a great job. We're supported by an amazing community that appreciates what we do. So um, if you're a bartender, then it's two more weeks training. So. So now you're talking about three and a half weeks to be a bartender there because it's a lot more responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to know everything a server knows and then know all the drinks, all the cocktails. Um, And then you're also trained at STEM right next door, which is another week. So it's basically a month. If you're going to be a bartender there, you have to be able to work at, at both bars, seed and STEM both. So, so that is the investment that comes with working in a restaurant and, and we have that reputation, and I think it's a good one. It's like, you know, you, you really, if you're going to walk through the door and hand me an application, um, you've probably heard around town that it's pretty hardcore and that you're ready for the challenge, you know. And some people still fall through the
2: cracks, you know, and it's okay. It's like – It's a part of the deal. Right. I find that um, having done that as a, you know, as a prote- pr- prospective employee – and a company who has been training you for that long when you mentioned giving someone uh, second chances or a lot of chances it's uh it's a calculated risk because it's not really a chance because you know what they're capable of you know you know what your expectations have been set to and i find that to be very um interesting because when t- when places just let people go instead of setting the expectations further or further defining what, what they, they need from them. Then if they don't do it, then, you know, Hey, this isn't really, you fired yourself basically. Right. But it's important to say, Hey, you know, this is a a teachable moment. If it's unforgivable, like stealing or something like that, you're out. But most of the time, it's just, you know, a guest complaint and something that you can actually address, whether it's an attitude, if you've seen the attitude before, or not before you can scratch your head and say hey this is not like you what's going on blah 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 right so it's very interesting you say um chances but i think there's a better word in my my mind you know that you just further uh define and whittle down what it is that you really expect from those from that person
1: yeah and be fair you know maybe that's a better way to put it sure, you true, know true. It's- you know, we're, we're not here. We have we invest $1,000 in every single person that rolls through, and we decide to have train. That's a lot of dough, mm-hmm. you know. And if you're the average restaurant that's making 4%, you know, and people just don't realize that. They think, you know, hey, restaurant people, if you're an owner, no matter where your business is, you're rolling in the dough, you know. But, yeah. but 4%, so that means you make $4 out of every $100 plate that comes out or table or whatever. Yeah. You know, you throw that plate on the ground and that's
2: a $12 plate. That's $300. Yeah. So. <laughs> so you you talked about... um, st- the, There was a lot of things I want to um, really, you know, segue into. So Stem Wine Bar, right? It's next door and your bartenders, you know, do they float between the, the two? They do. Yeah. Okay. Now, are there... In in the wine business, not not the wine business, but essentially the wine business, do you find that there's a barrier to entry? Um, are people in, intimidating to go to a wine bar, or are they mostly curious, or is it? Do you find that you you have more of a challenge to get people through the door because it's only a wine bar?
1: Um, yeah, so I, it is it is a very intimidating subject or place to go, or so. That's the first thing that we decided when we we're going to have a wine bar, that it is going to be not that. It is not going okay. to be intimidating for the guests to walk in. You know, we've all been to those places, no matter what kind of liquor you drink or wine. You know, I mean, if somebody walks up to your bar or sits at your table and they, they order the House Chardonnay, they don't expect you to put down the the Chardonnay and then get a dissertation on what it is and why you should be drinking it. No, exactly. They just want to drink it. Exactly. You know, I mean, I, I ordered like a, you know, fancy tequila somewhere and then I got a dissertation on Don Julio, 1942 and all the history. And I'm like, I didn't ask for it, you know? So, so we're, we are prepared for that. Now we have a very knowledgeable team. We've put, we have seven Psalms in the company now that uh, we've put through. It's something that we do. If you, any certification in the restaurant industry whether it's some or Cicerone for beer or whatever, if you pass it, we'll pay for it. Okay. So that's something that motivates people to learn. But so cool. That is really cool. Yeah. It's, uh, again, it's just one of those things that just keeps you, it, it's loyalty, you know, mm-hmm. and, and people appreciate that and they stay and, and because of those kind of things on top of everything else we do. But, but yeah, wine's a polarizing subject. So people come in and they are intimidated and, If you want to know about that house Chardonnay and you ask about it, we have all the knowledge to tell you about it. If you just want to drink it and hang out, then that's all you're going to do. Mm -hmm. So but we are very friendly. There's no snob. There's no we just we take that completely out of what we're doing.
2: What is the what do you think is the biggest, uh, most common mistake that people um, that servers make while presenting an opening wine? Um, I mean, God, not at you your place. place, of course, <laughs> of course, not. <laughs>
1: oh, God, I mean, there's a laundry list. I mean, I was at, I and you know, I mean, this is a place where you wouldn't expect anybody to understand wine service, but uh, this was a while ago. But I was at a restaurant where the server actually handed me the wine bottle to open it because they couldn't get it open. Wow, wow, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't a place where it was, it was probably like, you know, they. It's probably not the first time this, this girl handed somebody a wind-up <laughs> open to them. Wow. So, yeah, the really embarrassing part was that it was a screw cap. Oh, wow. So, and that's, she, that's she, just kept, she just kept spinning it. So you just had to hold the bottom part yeah, and steal them. Little, and, and, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, yeah, presenting the cork. Um, It's really it's all about understanding the why, and I could talk about this later too, but it's understanding the why you're doing something. So Mm. you can present a cork, but does the server know why you're presenting a cork? And then more importantly, does actually less importantly, does the guest know why we're presenting the cork to you. Do they know what to look for? Yeah. You know, and I, when I do wine classes for the public, this is one of the things I talk about is just kind of like the rules and what to do when, you, when you're at a table, like something you can take away from the class and use in real
2: life. Okay. let's g- Give us uh, give us a, a, a light mini version. A step of, by of, step. Of, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, so when a server puts a cork down, You know, I can ask you guys, like, what do you, what, what is the purpose of that? Like, why is it, why are they putting the cork down? The general public will always say to sniff the cork. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then I, I gently let them know, and not at the table, this is in the wine class. I'm like, well, there's probably less than 10 people in the world that can actually detect the mold on a wine (laughs) cork that that's going to tell you whether the wine is good or bad. Mm -hmm. I was like, and, and that's what I say to the class. And I'm like, guess what? It's none of the 40 of you. <laughs> so please, for the love of God, stop doing that because we are all making fun of you back there. Yeah. So I'm like, so <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, you know, you look at the wine cork because you're trying to find out how the wine is stored. So mm-hmm. if there's a wine line on the side and it goes to the top of the bottle, that's when you know maybe it wasn't stored correctly. Mm-hmm. Oxygen got into the bottle. But that's it. You just look at it and then you put it back down.
2: Yeah, you visually inspect it. Yeah, you might squeeze it to see if it's brittle. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just simple things like that, you know. And um, but people want to be fancy, so they pick it up, they smell it, and then they're like, you know, I mean, I have I tell this story all the time, but I I did this at a restaurant called Blue Point I worked at, which is where I met Chef Doug. Um, and I put down the cork, and the lady smelled the cork, and she's like, "Wow, this is going to be an amazing bottle." And I was like, "Well, absolutely is." And I walked away, and I'm like, "It was a synthetic cork." <laughs> i'm like you know i'm like but she just wanted to feel fancy in the yeah. moment and i am not going to correct her no like, no no you had to sell yeah, the dream yeah, yeah no you sell you're the dream exactly keep the dream alive yeah and i heard you talking about that danny <laughs> you know you're you i don't care if somebody says the wine wrong if i go first of all if i go into a restaurant and the, and i say the wine incorrectly whether it's like some fancy french thing or whatever because you know i don't know every wine mm-hmm. and yeah. how to say everything either um so You know, the server will will correct me. That's when I just want to get up and leave. Yeah, I'm like, you don't correct the guest. I I end up saying it the exact same way the guest said it incorrectly the Mm -hmm. whole rest of the time. That's what we do. You know, like our job is to make sure that they are comfortable. True. You know, and they're enjoying the experience and correcting somebody is not the way to do it. Yeah. You know, then you're just pissing people off. (laughs) Exactly. You know, you're here to have a great time, but I'm just going to. Now it's, we might
0: talk about you in the back after the fact, but that's not the point. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah, Right. Exactly. Yeah. You and your Merlot.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. With the filet mignon. Yeah. That's uh, it. I get. I get, <laughs> get Orstes all the time. <laughs> oh wow! It's like the R's at the back of the sentence, <laughs> not in the beginning. Yeah, I mean that's a, That's an easy one too. I get ORSTAs all the time. I say what? Because. I honestly, like I get taken aback. I'm like, like are
0: they talking about some food I don't know about? Have
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah.
2: Is this slang? <laughs>
1: like, 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 what is this? <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay, so uh, you you come to the you come to the table with uh, I I don't want to make any assumptions, right? And for guests and servers out there, you you you. Face the label to the guest to make sure that they 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 got the right bottle. That they got the right bottle. Right. Right. Well,
1: and then you also, as you're pouring around the table, you make sure the label's facing the guest Mm -hmm. because they don't know what what bottle the host ordered. Mm -hmm. So you'll notice that as you're pouring it, the guests are looking sideways at the label because they want to know what it is too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and they don't necessarily want to ask because maybe, you know, they're they're a little timid or embarrassed Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. So, you know, that's that's the other reason why, and then you leave the label facing the host. Okay. And there is a way, I mean, it's old school, you know, I, when I was at the breakers and um, just learning about wine there and you learn all these things and it's, it's more casual now too. It you is know? A, it's It's
0: definitely a lot more casual. Like I know back in the day you, you couldn't even spin it yet. You, you weren't supposed to spin the bottle or anything, but I see kids spinning them now, like when they're turning the cork and stuff like that. There's, there's a lot of little nuances that we get away with now that you wouldn't have gotten away with 10, 15 years ago. No question.
1: Yeah, exactly. And in the end, you know, I mean, it's, a details, it's the details that we're proud of, but do people really care? I don't think so. I now mean,
2: Some do. Um, it, some do because they're, okay, yesterday uh, at brunch, it can be uh, a sugar honey iced tea show, right? hmm And, but you have to treat everyone as best as you can.
1: But let me interrupt. Is, do you treat the person that's passed out on their table from drinking too many mimosas? <laughs> The exact same as everybody else, or <laughs> do you think? Firstly, they... it wasn't my table. <laughs> <laughs> was do, you, do you think they cared of the label facing them on the table? <laughs> they didn't even know that label was there. No. no, no, no.
0: You could pour uh, water back in that glass. They were like, "It's so good." This...
2: <laughs> <laughs> I had someone ask me to top them off when they had literally a full pour of mimosas. And then I had to put it to the brim because that was me being a little obtuse because I was like, what am I supposed to do here? You're not going to be, a, you're going to literally have to hunch over this thing to start drinking. You're it. spilling my champagne at the <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> right. Exactly. So I just had a gentleman where I, I, I was, I, I was going to pour him first and then I stopped and then I poured, you know, his wife first and he said, Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you for, you know, considering the lady first. And i thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, it's, you know, it's a small thing, but he appreciated it. I think that's important.
1: I mean, the lady's first thing I don't think has ever gone away. And I think that's something that will always stick. Um, but there's a little, like, tiny nuances about rolling around the table. When you're serving, you go, like, the older people first, the mm-hmm. older women first, and then you go around I mean, you know, if you got a party of eight now and you're doing that, you're like, that's you, a little much. Yes. You, know. you put in 500 steps around the table just <laughs> <Yeah>. throwing people's <laughs> wines. No, no, no. I'm like, that's enough. You it's know? a full circle
0: usually. You know, you go clockwise. Everybody's pretty okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. And one of my biggest pet peeves, to go back to how servers do it wrong when doing wine presentations, is, it. you know, even if there's 30 people at the table and you have one bottle to pour, there always should be a little left in the bottle no matter what. So you never go halfway around and then force them to get another bottle. So, and that's a huge
2: part of, you know, just having the guests trust you mm-hmm. when you're there. I, I plan it out. You know, I, I, I'm, I know how, how much to pour to get to, if it's eight people, I know how much to pour to get there uh, to to have that little bit left in the bottle that, you know, that the host can, you know, feel like, hey, you know, I'll get another one or, or right. not, you know. Right. Instead of going like, I didn't get any. <laughs> yeah, no, you got yeah, guess I'll have to get another bottle.
1: <laughs> guess you will, sir. Guess who made an upset <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that
2: comes straight out of your tip. <laughs> uh, so what about the classic wine pairing thing? Because I hear it all the time that people say, oh, oh, I guess I have to have some red because I'm having meat. And I look at them and I was like, uh, really? Uh let's talk about that I mean you say that things have changed over the years maybe a little bit more casual with the presentation how hard and fast are the unwritten rules of you know white wine with pairing. white yeah. with yeah with wine pairing
1: yeah um, well I think I think pairing the right wine with food if you're a wine drinker takes your it does take your dining experience to the next level mm-hmm. uh, for sure without a doubt so I highly recommend. Hopefully, first of all, the person that's giving you these recommendations knows what they're talking about, because I think there's too many misconceptions and myths out there. Mm -hmm. So when I do wine classes um, for the public, I do I can't remember all 10 off the top of my head, but but I do some like really simple rules to follow that you can just do at home. So one of the classics is is steak, you know, and no, and. And the last thing I say, and sometimes I say to that in the beginning too, is no matter what, it's you drink what you want. You know, you can drink white wine. I don't. It doesn't make a difference. Drink what it's, you like. like. Exactly, and that that is all that matters in the end, because you know that we're there for the guests. I whatever. If you if you if I tell you a pairing, and you don't take it, my feelings are not hurt mm-hmm. because you're still there buying wine and you're enjoying yourself, and that's all that matters. But if you want to take your your experience to the next level steak is a great example so a lot of people think it's just any red wine with any steak but it's not the case if if you want to be technical about it you have something like a fillet which has very little fat so you don't want something to overpower it that's that's really tannic like a super heavy cab Mm -hmm. or any wine that has a lot of tannins that's you know and then you can go. It's it is a rabbit hole of information of why wines would be more tannic than another. But so I always suggest with a the fillet, then you get something lighter like a Pinot. Mm-hmm. So because you you don't want the the wine to overpower the steak. Mm-hmm. And then as you move up the fat scale to New York Strip, ribeye, you start going heavier in the red wines because you want those tannins to match the fat in the steak. Okay. So and now if you drink a Pinot with a ribeye, I'm not saying it's going to be terrible, but But the wine, exactly. Yeah. And the wine's
2: going to get lost. So that is like an easy, that's an easy one for me. So Danny said a good word balanced, right? So you're balancing out the, the, the particular meat with the, with the, with the wine where one doesn't overpower the other. Exactly. And it's actually science
1: behind that. I mean, that's just not something that that people have been picking out of the air. Mm-hmm. There's a science to the tenant and how it battles the fat in the food. Okay. So yeah, I mean, and for me, sauces is a big thing, too, just with any other dish. Like for me, if there is a if there's a mushrooms in the dish mm-hmm. of any kind, which I know you love, by no, the way, yeah, there, yeah. there okay. will never be a mushroom in his dish. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so you can ignore this, but Danny, if you have mushrooms in your dish, uh, depending on what kind of meat it is, if it's like a chicken or a fish or something, and there's mushrooms, I always go Oregon Oregon Pinot Noir. Mm. So because you have the earthy characteristics, mm-hmm. they always have that kind of earth tones under them. It's not a California Pinot, which is more fruit forward. Mm-hmm. So I'll always go, and you can even go French. So Oregon Pinot Noir to me is the bridge between France and California Pinot. Okay. So then, you know, if it's a, so if it's like a, or you can even go anything old world style, which is like, you know, like a Bordeaux or French Mm -hmm. or anything, maybe some Italian dish, but you want something that has those old old world characteristics to it. And mushrooms are, that's an easy dead giveaway where, you know, now, you know, if, and you got to put the, the, what's in the wine and the characteristics of the wine together, you know, like if you read the descriptions and it's saying things like, you know, cherry and mm-hmm. blackberry and blueberry, and then you're kind of eating it with something that's like not compatible with
2: those flavors. Then you, sh- then you shouldn't put those together. So. Are there any white wines that, uh, that would go pairing with, uh, uh, a, a steak? Uh,
1: that's, I, I've never heard of one. but No, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that it would taste terrible together. I just don't think that that's the right pairing gotcha. to go with it. Um, I'm trying to think of some way to kind of skirt around that, to to enjoy it. I don't know. I mean, and the whole thing with pairing, too, is, and that's the other misconception. Like, somebody, like, eats a piece of their steak, and they swallow it, and then they they take a sip of their wine. It's meant to be enjoyed in your mouth at the same yeah. time. Yeah, so when you take a and you take a piece of the fillet and you put it in your mouth, you take a small sip of the wine, mm-hmm. and then it should all mingle in your mouth together. Gotcha. Um, I mean, some of the best examples of those pairings are, um, to me, it's like any kind of like straw wine, like dessert wine or like a sauternes. Mm-hmm. All you need is a, and they're not really that expensive anymore. I mean, there are some that are really expensive, but you can get one for twenty bucks for. a a half bottle or whatever and you get one piece of new york style cheesecake with nothing on it if you take a bite of that cheesecake and take a small sip of that turns, your life is changed forever Mm. so that is yeah that that is delicious i mean for real right and that's the thing and the pairing goes so well together because you have flavors like apricot honey um in this kind of aged wine that's a little bit on the thicker side because as you know um dessert wine is made from grapes that are shriveled up and so you don't get a lot of juice but it's a a little more has a little more viscosity Mm -hmm. so that battles the fat in the cheesecake so really what you're left with is it removes the alcohol taste and it's basically like pouring like an apricot kind of honey glaze on top of the cheesecake and it's so simple and remember when they leave your restaurant for the most part like yeah they remember some of the dishes but if you give somebody an amazing dessert and you leave them with that like we do that we just do a complimentary sometimes sometimes we're just like you know, we well, really like going it. to
0: Atlanta, and we're going to the restaurant. <laughs>
1: yeah, you are invited officially, and I come come to the house, man. You guys have a place to stay. I'm telling him
2: that forever. I'm, I'm making it. I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, man. What is uh speaking about going out to dinner? What's your favorite night of the week to go to a restaurant? I think I'm. I might be wrong, but I think I'm in the same boat
1: as you guys. But you know, like a Monday or a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I like. I do not like the hustle and bustle no, of Friday. No First of all, I'm not I'm not off on Fridays and Saturdays. I, <laughs> so. as, as, and
0: I feel like that's amateur night anyways. You know what I mean? But there's
2: like, times when you are off. Yes. And then you 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 go, what do I do? And then when you do go out, you're like, I don't like this. Yeah. Oh, you don't. Like, no. I'm waiting for a table here. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> you can even know
0: people, and you're just looking at everybody else going around. You're like,
2: it gives me anxiety. They're waiting for a
0: table, and they're giving me anxiety. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. Exactly. Going <laughs> strolling. Yeah. Sit down. No enjoy worries. Enjoy yourself. You know, have okay. have
0: that opportunity to talk to the manager or like whoever your friend is that's working, and not have them be running around in a circle because they're busy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like because we go a lot of places and we know a lot of people, and and you always kind of you go. I feel like we go out because we know somebody or or all of the above, and you want to enjoy that time with them while you're there.
1: Yeah,
2: right, without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, the off days are the days I like to go out. Gotcha, for sure. We're going to let you go on these two final questions. If you weren't in the business, in the restaurant business, what business would you be in? I
1: would be a lawyer, 110%. Nice. Yes. That is,
2: that is like definitive.
1: Yes. That is something that, uh, I mean, my mom's been telling me I should be a lawyer since I was like eight years old (laughs) because I could talk her into anything or out of anything. (laughs) Talk myself out of anything. So, but yeah, I, uh. I always kind of wanted to be a lawyer. I like I'm a natural problem solver by okay. nature. So I figured like if I was some kind of, you know, like maybe prosecutor on the okay. prosecutor I, side, figuring out cases, something like that.
0: I'm actually uh, testing, right taking a class right now to take the LSAT. Oh, that's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. But uh, entertainment law. I, I I like, I love entertainment and uh, I just want it's more of a, a lets you kind of explore all the, the realms of everything and get you in all the doors we need to be in even for what we're doing right now, and from across the board, I had kind of taken a break for a little while and was taking care of my daughter and life and everything. But I got myself back on focus, and I'm kind of ready to do it.
2: Is that what you're? You know, you would be if you weren't.
0: Uh, if uh, if I wasn't in the wrestling business, no, I, I would actually. Want to, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a professional athlete. Okay. Yeah. All right. There you go. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And then I, and then, <laughs> I as, as want to I be that up, now, <laughs> right? Because I'm up, too old. I, and then, as I grew up, I wanted to be a musician, which I still do. You know, I mean, I, I, I am, I have all the traits. I mean, I make music and everything, but, um, but yeah, like to the, to the, uh, to the Bruno Mars level, the Michael Jackson level of it, just, to, just to see how it would be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always, I've always been. Uh, Kind of the school of I'd rather be like the drummer for the Rolling Stones. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or like the backup QB where mm-hmm. I make all the money but nobody knows who the hell I am. <laughs> like this is be that would be awesome. You know?
2: If I if I were in a football team, I'd be a punter. Wow. Great longevity, you make Great longevity. Money. The <laughs> game doesn't depend on me at yeah. the end, you know. <laughs> right. like, missing yeah. the kid field
0: goal as long as you can land that thing between the 20 and the 5 you got got your money every time
1: I got
2: one job (laughs) (laughs) that's it and if they hit you you're good to go (laughs) yeah exactly they get a penalty for hitting you exactly perfect Perfect. I'm in there I'm not fat enough to be a long snapper so kick uh, punter it is (laughs) finally I'm gonna let you go on this one if you had to serve cereal at uh, the restaurant which cereal would it be we're we're a breakfast uh, show right here we love it (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> let me let me head back to my childhood real quick uh if it were yeah my god I'm you don't eat not. cereal now no never what? yeah no if i told you my diet you'd die of boredom believe me if so, i told you my diet you'd die of boredom <laughs> <laughs> well yeah the last 15 days during this cleanse yeah absolutely um so okay so
2: let's uh you don't eat cereal so what uh well, no i mean what's I, your favorite I, breakfast item
1: uh, I would say uh, eggs, potatoes, bacon, and a lot of ketchup. That sounds boring. What kind of
2: what kind of uh, what kind of potatoes? You got to give me like like, home fries. Home fries. Or okay. Shredded? No, we talked about this before. No, yeah. not hash browns. No. <laughs> no Wait, man, That's home Perkins. Fries. I'm Denny's. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Yes. So, so, eggs. How? Over hard. Over hard. Okay. Yeah, I don't like runny yolks. There you go. Okay. Yeah. And and you said home fries, home fries, and bacon, bacon, with some ketchup. How do you, Sausage. How do you your bacon? Crispy, yeah, I like it crispy, like
0: super crispy, or like, like, like if you touch it, is it brittle in your hand? Is or it burnt? Like... Is it
1: dark? No, not burnt. Yeah, I okay. mean you, when you pick it up, it's like so you can pick it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, no, I've seen bacon. You know, you touch it, it just you know who I, you know who <laughs> exclusively likes broken burnt bacon people that like runny yolk ah, they, they smear the bread in gotcha, it yeah. and they mix the bacon in with it
1: yeah, any, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and some toast so what well, what happens is I mean I put so much ketchup on the plate it really doesn't matter what it is you wouldn't be able to you can't taste any of it anyways <laughs> So everything on the plate ends up getting just drowned in ketchup including the bread which I put ketchup on my bread. This is a
2: Costco ketchup man right oh, oh man. You, you have no idea. Did you, did
0: you get the three pack of ketchup at the highs at Costco? No you
2: I, I... get to the restaurant ketchup. No.
1: Do you have the <laughs> pump at home? Yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> no. It's, it's a funny story actually. I actually don't have ketchup at my house because I do not trust myself with the amount cool. I eat. Okay. Yeah. That so. is restraint. But when I go out to a restaurant on, and they start bringing me these little ramekins, and I'm I like laugh. I laugh. No, I'm like, bring me the container that you got this out <laughs> with some kind of large ladle. I'm like, hey, this is like a joke. But, you know, I'm, I'm stacking ramekins like 20 high on the table, like like they're a bombless mimosas,
0: exactly. <laughs> building cities with ramekins. <laughs> yeah, I'm like yeah,
1: we're just doing shots of ketchup over here. But that's what I like. I eat so much ketchup that an hour later I'll be severely dehydrated. <laughs> Like oh, no joke, I'll need water. I need like an IV. I'm <laughs> <Not> sure I'm <laughs> oh done.
2: Gosh. Yeah, I did not know that about you. Yes, yeah,
1: so I love ketchup. Like my ideal meal in general would be, like sweet potato fries and maybe like some kind of like uh, like meats that I can put ketchup on all of it and just eat it all together. Mm. So it's not what I eat. That's like a splurge for me. Yeah, <laughs> people think we're in this business, and and that's a big misconception about myself. I'm like. They're like I go home and you know, because I'm a sommelier that I go home and drink hundred dollar bottles of wine every night and eat foie gras. I'm like my 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 dinner <laughs> is a is a special hummus I get from Whole Foods, uh, carrots, celery, two yogurts, a protein bar, and a diet Pepsi. That's my dinner every single night, without oh my fail. God, that's worse than me. <laughs> so generally, it's weird. I mean, I I'll eat like one chicken breast a day. Sometimes I won't, but I've become kind of like a like unintentional kind of vegetarian in a way. Mm. So I just don't eat a lot. and I don't eat a lot of red meat. Okay. So I've just never, never
2: really. read the that same way.
0: book and watched and eat the same food. Who are you two? No,
2: I, mean, <laughs> we, that, that we, I do not eat the same food. I'm no. joking. <laughs> but I mean, but I like to take. I I love to cook. So the only thing that's really missing from my 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 meals is the meat. True, you know. So and then sometimes I do have meat, but it's very little. Like I'll eat, and I started out my journey by eating half a portion of meat. I will, you know, buy steak at the at the grocery store, and I'll cut it in half, and then that would be my portion. And then eventually, I just didn't really, you know, he weaned his way off of it. Yeah, yeah, right. But <laughs> right. I still do eat meat, though. Yeah, I, I, know, know. I still do eat a, a lot of things. And I'm just joking. No, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, so now are sensitive. I can, I- I can't do hummus for dinner. (laughs) Hummus for lunch yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I was really mad because I get my stuff from Whole Foods because we have a Whole Foods in our same plaza. So Mm -hmm. that's where I get all my food. And the hummus that I got was discontinued. And I'm known there to be, I'm the hummus and yogurt guy when I walk into (laughs) Whole Foods. Because, You're like, hummus guys here. Yeah, because I literally clear out the shelf of the hummus I like and then I clear out the yogurt from the the uh, from the yogurt I uh-huh. like. So I have like forty yogurts and twenty hummuses in my cart.
2: Is it a Whole Foods branded yogurt? Or uh, is it they they just stopped selling it so you gotta get it from somewhere else?
1: Uh, no, they stopped making it completely. It's Ooh, uh Lord. it's called two engine, which is actually so I used to buy it um because when you and it's good on top of it, but it's like, first of all, it's not really high in calories. Like You get like Sabra, it's like 700 calories a container. This is 220. Mm-hmm. But every for every one that you bought, they would uh, contribute to the local fire department. Okay. So that's why I was buying it, but then they stopped selling it. So now this one is just like some other brand they carry. Mm. And the yogurt is Faye. Mm. F-A-G-E, which I've, I've just found out how to actually say that.
2: Oh, yeah. I've, yeah. Uh, I've, I've heard that... I. I just don't uh, – I make uh, water kefir, that thing in that uh, jar in the, on the stove right there. Yeah. And uh, the bottom is the kefir grains, and that's where I get my uh, my probiotics from.
1: Nice. So I've yeah. seen you
2: cook, man. Yeah. I uh, I enjoy it. So a lot of people in my family like to cook. I love to eat, and an extension of me liking to eat, I want it how I want it. I just end up cooking it. Yeah. And, my, I, and it's done from – me being in the kitchen with my grandmother, she cooked all the time, and me being a pain in the butt to my mom. And sometimes you just like do it yourself, you know? So that's how I started. That. I used to bake more when I was a kid than, than cook. You can't compete with my mom's cooking. But being on my own, it was like I had to do it for myself. Yeah, right. I don't know. I no longer have the, oh my gosh, the time to bake. Baking is like an all day thing. You know, a lot of times you have to let it rise. You got to let things set. You got to, now.
1: It's very okay, precise. It it's depends on the precise. weather and the humidity he down though. here. Well, I'm, I'm loose. He I makes do great make bread, bread. bread,
2: and that's another thing that's laborious. Yeah, he made, yeah, he's For coming sure. with
0: these fresh breads, like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm not even eating bread right now, but I'm still remembering them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the humidity down here it affects baking a lot, yeah.
2: so... Yeah baking and glass blowing can not do it in- <laughs> right yeah <laughs> Man, that's unfortunate to yeah. jump on that train yeah well thank you thank you so much uh, we're we're very you know pleased that you were able to make it and we're grateful for your time we're going to break this up into two episodes so look forward to part 2 when we speak to Jason about all restaurant things and some fun things as well
0: it was so good having you on the show Thank you Thanks, so
2: guys. much. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next time. We'll we'll catch some lunch if you have some time. I got time. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. We'll see you next time. I'm Marlon Joseph, the modern waiter. I'm Dan Villan. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you next time.
0: Speaks with melodic flow as the beat goes clap, clap, clap.
1: Who the hell can stop that? Initiate it, wake up with your head cracked Spitting nasty like the pimples on your back